Okay, we are officially live. Dakota Jones, happy Friday, my friend. Say hello to the viewing audience. Hello, viewing audience. Thank you for joining us. We're so happy to be here with you. Well, Dakota, man, I'm so excited to have you here. And uh, we have so much to talk about. Of course, you're only a week removed from a fantastic third place finish at the Hard Rock 100, which will occupy much of our time here today. But obviously, I also want to talk about your new relationship with Normal and uh, everything that you and Killian have been working on in that department. And of course, I want to talk about the Footprints Running Camp, which Free Trail is a proud sponsor of, which started yeah. just a couple of a couple, a couple days from now there in the San Juans. So we'll get to all that in a sec. First, a big thank you to everybody who is watching, get in the chat, let us know if you got questions for Dakota. And a big thank you also to Aura, our sponsor for these Friday live streams. Uh, super grateful for their support. You guys have heard me talk about it a number of times. Been a big Aura user way before it was cool, way before they were a sponsor. And uh, so you can get a uh, an Aura ring yourself if you use the link here on YouTube. That'll get you a six months free subscription with the purchase of a new ring. And they are now compatible with Strava. So you can merge like all your sleep data, HRV, heart rate, all that stuff over to your Strava page too, to catalog all the data that you accumulate as a trail athlete. Dakota Jones, welcome to the show, man. We've got so much to cover, but maybe first just tell us how you're feeling a week removed from closing the loop and kissing the rock there in Silverton. Thanks a lot, man. <clears throat> yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And um, yeah, I'm feeling actually really good. I don't know. I think the training went well and the race went pretty well. And when it all works out, you know, I feel like the recovery takes less time than when it doesn't all work out. And so this was a, a good one for whatever reason. And so, you know, I'm not running yet, but, uh, I've been, I've been feeling pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Good man. Well, it was such an awesome race and I can't even tell you like how riveting it was throughout mm -hmm. the day to see the three of you guys racing together, to see you go off the front and then to see Killian and Francois battle all the way to the finish and you totally. coming through for an awesome third place. And I want to get all the details because I have nice. so many questions, <laughs> but first let's talk about normal. I want to hear all about this new partnership because I think it's really cool. I think it's an awesome next step for you personally, but also really exciting for the sport. I think it's also just a really intriguing move by Killian himself, of course, the greatest of all time, branching out on his own and, and starting this and you being a major part of it, part of the sort of founding team. So uh, maybe rewind the, the clock a little bit and tell us about how that relationship materialized. Uh, how did you and Killian uh, come to be in touch about it? Yeah. Yeah. Normal is, is really cool. It's a super exciting project to get to be part of. I was frankly, uh, floored when Killian <laughs> invited me to be part of that. Uh, but you know, being ever since chatting with him and getting involved, like, I feel like it's been a really cool project that I've, you know, I think I'm able to contribute some, so it's been fun. Um, yeah, I mean, from my end, I've been in engineering school the last few years and, you know, as I'm coming through this, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm building all these skills that I, I would like to use, even if the idea of a typical engineering job scares the crap out of me, you know, I'm like, you know, I want to actually do something about this. And so it, I think it makes a lot of sense to try to like use the connections that I have in the outdoor industry to try to like work on specifically sustainability issues and climate change within the outdoor industry. You know, this is, it's all about context. How can you use the communities that you have? And so for me, I started looking at ways that I could like use the partnerships I had with a brand like 
ideally with a brand, I would be an athlete and do the athlete thing. Cause I do like to race and compete, but I also want to do more. And like, how can I work directly with the brand so that I can maybe, you know, eventually even work on designing products or, or, you know, what actually inspires me a little more is like kind of behind the scenes stuff, like manufacturing, like how do you reduce energy and manufacturing facilities? How do you improve efficiency along like supply chain stuff and transportation? Like, um, you know, less sexy stuff, but I think it can make a difference. And so I have lots of ideas like that. And I've been looking at like, how can I work with a brand to do that? And it's not exactly a common sort of relationship to have with a brand. And so I was kind of talking with a few and trying to figure this out. And it just like, wasn't really happening. Cause I think a lot of brands are like big brands they are established. They have a system and there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm trying to do something new. And then literally like, it just wasn't working what I was trying to do. And then literally Killian called me and like proposed the same exact thing without hearing my pitch first. And I was like, wow, that's, that's like the universe looking out for me. I don't know how this is possible, but, uh, that's incredible. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was funny. I think it was the end of October last year, Killian reached out and he's like, Hey man, I have this project. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And I was like, yeah, you want my thoughts? Are you sure? <laughs> um, but were you surprised we... because like, of course you guys were teammates at Solomon beforehand and it's a big move for somebody like Killian. Of course, really? he's probably the only person in the sport who could pull this off to build his own brand from scratch and ground everything in this sustainability ethos that is so really? core to both of your guys' personal philosophies. Were you, were you surprised to when he sort of pull back the curtain on the whole project? Definitely. When he first told me about it, that he was going to do this and like make his own brand and leave Solomon, I was definitely surprised. I think all of us were just because Killian has been with Solomon since he was like 15 years old. And um, I mean, Solomon has done a lot of really, really cool stuff. They work with a lot of athletes, but I think it's probably pretty safe to say that a large part of the reason Solomon has been so successful is because of Killian. Um, And again, I don't want to take away from other athletes, but Killian's the best. We all yeah. know this. Um, and so, yeah, I was surprised, but also intrigued. Um, and it's the kind of thing where like when the best athlete in the world tells you that he wants to go do this really hard physical thing, you're like, well, I mean, that's ambitious, but Hey, if anybody could pull it off, it's you. And so knowing Killian, knowing how he like approaches a project of any kind, he told me this and I was like, I just knew he's going to do it well. Yeah. Right. It's a safe assumption. He's like, do you want to be involved? I haven't even held a product. I'm like, of course I want to be involved. Like definitely (laughs) I'm in. And and I don't actually feel that bad about that. Like I was for a while there, I was like, man, maybe I should like actually double check the product before I signed on. But what I've really come to feel is that product is something that can be improved and worked on over time. And, you know, it will be no matter what. What matters to me is the the makeup of the brand and the people in the brand and the the direction. And right away, Killian's like, we're working on creating high quality products that are sustainable and not and like trying to set this example of sustainability in the outdoor industry so that other brands and athletes and events have to respond and kind of do something similar. Yeah, so you cool. Know, if anybody can pull it off, it's Killian. And so. It's true, but it is all about the people and for him to recognize you being a great founding ambassador for the brand, I think was also really intelligent. Of course, you have more exposure to the American market and everybody knows that you're a man of high integrity and that you do have deeper uh, ambitions beyond just smashing races and standing on podiums, but that 
you know, your personal life ethos and philosophies mesh with what normal's trying to do. So I think it's a, a match made in heaven and a really interesting next step for everybody involved. I want to just read something that you posted about it because I think it's illustrative of what we're talking about and ask you to expand on it a little bit. But in one of your posts around the time that you announced this, you said, this is the last shoe brand that I'll run for, partly because I think this partnership will last many years and partly because I'm less interested in this form of work than I used to be. When I was younger, being a sponsored athlete was a dream come true. Now I view my job with normal as an opportunity to address climate change and build community from a new direction. I wanted to work with Killian because he's the greatest athlete in the sport, sure, and I admire him tremendously. But if he wasn't so self-aware and determined to use a celebrity for good causes, I wouldn't have been interested. Well, I still want to compete. My real professional focus now is climate change. So I want you to maybe uh, expand on that a little bit, but also talk about what you guys did specifically around Hard Rock, because I think it's a good illustration of what you guys are looking to do beyond making products. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and that is really how I feel about it. Like that, that post is that I don't really want to run for any other brands. Like this whole like... I don't know. I've done the thing where you hustle and you try to get sponsors and you try to make some money and, and, you know, I'm able to make a little bit of money, but that's not the, the end goal here. I mean, we all have to support ourselves, but what's, what matters to me is addressing climate change. And, you know, when I look at these things in like the starkest terms possible, like, dude, I'm a wealthy white man from the United States. I'm fine. If I run out of money, I have a safety net, you know, like I can take this kind of risk. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to create a space where other people who don't have the privilege I have can also take that kind of risk. And the way that we can do that is by addressing climate change because climate change is not just an environmental issue. It's a social issue as well. It's a societal thing. It's economics. It's everything. And so, when I think of like, what do I want to do as a professional of any kind, you know, in my professional work life, it's like, I want to address the environmental issues that are going to completely disrupt our entire way of life, unless we're able to address them as adequately now. And so, um, you know, trail running is probably a pretty niche sport still it's growing, you know, thanks to you, but, uh, it's, it's still a niche sport. And so it's like kind of strange to address it from trail runners perspective, but I do have a platform and I work with a guy who has a really big platform, Killian. Right. And like, that's what we teach at footprints running is like, you use the connections and the networks that you have. And so, kind of rambling here, I think, but to get to the point, it's like when Killian invited me to be part of this this project, which is really an example of how to use business to address sustainability issues. I was, I felt like this is kind of like my third piece of the puzzle. That's going to bring it all together. Cause I have my running platform where I can be an advocate. I have my nonprofit where I can be an educator. And now I have this business platform where I can work to like demonstrate the, the, the profitability of sustainable actions. Brilliant, so, man. I never put those three pieces together myself. That's brilliant. So talk <laughs> about what you guys did in Silverton because you guys were out like doing trail work and stuff in the days yeah. before Hard Rock. And I know you did a talk also. And I think this is a great illustration of just like, I mean, it could have been a just like an exposition of the prototype product, right? But instead right. the activation was like about doing stuff in the community and for the environment. So talk about what you guys did. 
Yeah. So normal reached out to me because, you know, they know that I know hard rock and been there like every year forever now. And they were like, how can we do some sort of event or activation at hard rock without seeming like we're just so full of shit or like super commercial, (laughs) you know, I think that they're, what's cool about them among many other things is they're very aware that it's like a European brand and they don't quite grasp like the, the American market or the American approach. Um, and I think some European brands have struggled to kind of like appeal to the American market. And so they've been really reaching out to me about how to help them with that, which is a little nerve wracking. Cause I'm like, I don't quite know, but sure. I just do the best I can. And I was like, you know, if you're coming to hard rock, this is a race that like prides itself on not being a race. It's a run. It's a hard rock hundred yeah. run, you know? And like, it's all about the family and it's all about the keeping it small. And, you know, everybody likes to have their opinions about hard rock and they're not all positive, but I've always really appreciated like the way that hard rock has tried to be very inclusive, keep its family together while also inviting new people in. Um, and I wanted to try to create something with normal that would be in line with those values. And I was like doing something around money or product is probably not the best way to do that. And I was like, you know what we should do is just do trail work. Like, let's just get the, the best, trail runner in the world to do some, to like move some rocks and (laughs) swing a shovel right before the race. You know, that's a pretty cool example. Fire him out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It might help me out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so we did that. Yeah. We reached out to the San Juan mountain association, a local nonprofit. And uh, we set this thing up and we had like 25, 30 people come out and we did trail work for like four hours. And it, it wasn't like super hard work. Like we did this cool trail work where we were removing fire rings and kind of naturalizing illegal campsites. Um, so as far as trail work goes, it could have been harder, but we were out there doing work in the sun for four hours and just trying to, I think that the gesture is bigger than the actual work itself. You know, sure. yeah, that's a good way to engage, engage people and yeah. yeah, tie the brand back to what the core mission is. You know, ultimately it is going to have to be commercially successful and you guys are going to have to right. make great product, but that core mission of being uh, in, I guess, uh, symbiosis with the environment and, and really making every decision from that platform is uh going to be important for you guys to always keep in mind. And the more you can rally the community around those types of activities, the better. So let's talk about the product because, you know, of course there's gearheads out there, myself included. And we did some sort of fun live streams during the race itself. And I was like zooming in on your guys' shoes and your packs, just trying to get as much of the beta as I could just as somebody who appreciates the art and, and uh, process that goes into developing these products. And of course the proof is in the pudding. You guys both had phenomenal races and the, uh, the product carried you to those fantastic performances. So, so tell us a little bit about what you guys were wearing and maybe a, mm-hmm. a little bit about what you learned from it. If there was any, you know, things that you want to iterate upon based on that hundred mile adventure and anything else yeah. that is relevant uh, about yeah. the product itself. I'm not, yeah. I, I probably should have checked. I'm not really quite sure how much I'm allowed to say, uh, but it's probably okay. Cause I'm actually not really gearhead. So I just like know the big chunks about this. I generally like to find the products that work and I'm like, don't tell me anything else. There's too much com- complexity here to just, this works. But fortunately their shoes are really good. And, you know, we're making head to toe apparel and as well as packs um, and bottles and stuff. But uh, you know, the shoes are kind of the, the crux product we'll be making. And there's, 
there's two main models and then there's a third model, which is like a high ankle version of the second. Um, but we've been racing in the model. It's called the Kierag, K-J-E-R-A-G, which I think is a mountain in Norway, maybe. Okay. Uh, and then there's the Tomir, which is a mountain in Mallorca. You see, it's Mallorca. Uh, yeah, normal. Yeah. yeah. They didn't tell me. That was a funny thing. They didn't tell me that part of the name for normal came from Norway and Mallorca. Like I saw that in the marketing once we'd launched and I was like, you guys could have oh, mentioned that. Like, cool. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so the product is, it's really nice. So I think what, what Achillian really wanted was like a high quality shoe that was also like reasonably priced. I think that's kind of part of sustainability is like, you know, if, if it's not accessible, right. Then people can't really use it. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. Like, you know, whatever we can get into the nuance yeah. on that but i think it'll be reasonably priced and then like competitively like you know it's not like a shoe is cheap but i think we're looking at like 160 170 euros or something um and it's just the first thing i noticed was that it's super lightweight and i think that the thing that they were trying to do was they well they've so there's like three parts of a shoe. I'm being, I'm still in the process of learning all this stuff. <laughs> it's like, there's the outsole, the midsole and the upper. Right. Yeah. And they really went in all in on, on like high quality parts for each of those. And so there's uh -huh. like a Vibram outsole. So it's like very durable and uh, you know, it's like a sticky rubber. It's quite nice. And then the midsole is a super critical foam. So it's super lightweight and can, uh, last a long time and then they're using the matrix um upper oh, so the material like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like also paint. super durable yeah it's like yeah, the, it looked like a the nice the shoe looks nice like it looks like just kind of that type of model that you could take out every day but it also has enough of the cushion to carry you through Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people, myself included, are expecting Killian's signature shoe to be like the sense original, you know, where it's like basically a racing flat, you know, and he's going around 100 miles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is not that. Like it's really lightweight, but it's definitely got more padding, especially in the midsole, so that you can, I think a normal person can run 100 miles in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is what, what he wanted. And I was kind of asking about that. And, and Killian's like, yeah, you know, like I'm getting older too, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, need a nice, I want a little more cushion as well. Um, well, you guys yeah. looked super swaggy and, uh, yeah, it was, I, I think the, the community is very excited to see when the products actually come to market, I guess, maybe last question on this topic before we transition over to the race itself. Are you still expecting commercialization in the fall this year or is that something like that in maybe products you, in stores? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The original plan was September, but then with supply chain issues, like everybody got pushed back. Um, but our goal is in stores global by the, by middle or end of October. Wow. Um, awesome. Kind of got to cross your fingers on this, but it's like, everything sounds good so far. <laughs> so cool, man. Well, congrats on your success, both uh, on the race course and also with this next step in your career. I think Thanks, man. I resonate with what you posted and what I read there also. And that like the traditional athlete model was great for us 10 years ago and right. you know, through much of our careers, but there is a, it, I've, I felt a similar pull at the end of last year too, of like, I'd like to do something a little bit different that incorporates yeah. more of what I'm interested in outside of pure racing. Yeah. You're definitely doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think it's an important thing for athletes to think about, you know, to maybe, a, especially as they get into sort of the later years in their career, once they've established themselves a little bit more to think about yeah. the impact they want to have outside of, um, you know, pure racing and and competition, but 
it's really cool. And I'm excited to see what comes next for, for normal. But anyway, let's, uh, let's start talking about hard rock. Cause we've got okay. so much to talk about. <laughs> last time we talked, you were in Bozeman, you know, it was at the end of last year. And then, you know, I know, uh, you've been obviously in school there. You mentioned you're working on the engineering degree, yeah. you raced a couple of times this spring, you smashed the uh, Canyons 50 K and then you went over and I think finished 11th at Sagama, but maybe talk a little bit before we go into the race itself about sort of the prep leading up to the race. Cause I know you've been in Silverton for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So hard rock is a big race that requires a long, a lot of training as you know, because you actually ran it better than I did. Um, but, uh, you know, I started really like, you know, I got into hard rock last December and I was like, okay, well, I guess I better start. Um, and through the winter I was doing, trying to get as much vertical as possible, maybe a little less, especially in Bozeman. Cause it's like super hard to train in the winter and the spring. So I was like skiing a lot. We're getting vert, but like less pounding, but, um, through once I came back from Zagama and I, we moved me and my girlfriend moved up to Silverton, um, at the end of May, early June. And, just like settled in and I felt like I showed up there and I was fit, but not a hundred mile fit. And I was like, time, I got six weeks or see, so yeah, I think it was six weeks or something. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I just spent as much time as I could getting huge vert days and trying to just get long days on my feet. Um, and I was really prioritizing like big days and time on my feet more than distance. Um, I just, and also just trying to like really enjoy myself and I know we always say that because we're like these hippies in the mountains, but like, <laughs> I genuinely feel like I train better when I'm enjoying myself, you know, and it's easy to work so hard that you get tired and burned out. And I was like, I'm going to train less if, if that means that I'm going to enjoy myself more because then each workout I do will matter more. However, I didn't really have that much of an issue because I love running in the mountains and in the San Juans. The weather was super good. This there was no snow, which is ecologically frightening, but very convenient for my training. Um, and so I would just like spend a ton of time up in the mountains, and I'd do like a big day or two big days, and then a day off or two days off. You know, I'd even take like full days off, like no running, just because I felt like, <clears throat> you know, if I'm running a fast race, I kind of want to maintain that turnover even on the rest day. But this is a hiking race, you know. Like I just need to get invert, and when I'm resting, I need to to chill hard. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I built up pretty slowly, tried to get some acclimatization over the first week. And then I hit it a little too hard one day. I was like 12 for 12 hours and like completely cracked, like really bad. <laughs> Dude, those so, things are the strength builders though. Yeah. I mean, looking, totally. looking back to my prep for hard rock, Dominic Grossman and I did like a 12 and a half hour day, just going from Mount Langley to Mount Whitney in the oh, Sierra. Wow. And we only covered like 25 miles or something like that. Super slow day, but we were above 12,000, 11,000 feet most of the day, nice. obviously tagged yeah. two 14 ers And looking back, I was like, that was the crux of the, of the, uh, totally. preparation was just that 12 hour day. So yeah. in your, I run far interview though, I watched it before the race and I could tell you like, we're pretty confident in your preparation, but you also said, you know, we all know we're racing for third place here, acknowledging that Killian and Francois are the two greatest of all times at that right. distance, especially I know, but you're like somebody who kind of expects greatness out of yourself. And so I wonder if you maybe want to talk about how were you, how you were thinking about the race competitively, especially because like looking at your career, a hundred miles has been where you've struggled the most. Like you've been so good at, you know, 50 K 50 mile, hundred K even, 
but uh, at 100 miles, uh, I don't know, like it hasn't been quite as successful. So maybe it was the psychology, like uh, (laughs) especially going against two of the greatest of all time. Yeah. I mean, that psychology is always challenging some in a way, cause I don't want to be like a dick and sandbag everybody, you know, and be like, Oh, you know, I'm not that good at this. When I've done this a long time, I know these mountains, I know the course and I know that my training went well, but I also don't have a ton of personal confidence, especially at hundred miles. And, you know, I've never really, I mean, before this, I ran the I'm tough hundred in 2020 pretty well. I felt like I was consistent, but I wasn't really racing or pushing. Like this was a different level last weekend. Um, and so it's, you know, I think that I always just kind of tend to be like, Oh, I don't know how I'll do, or I'm not that good at this or whatever. Cause I'd rather say that and not do well than to be like, Oh yeah, I'm the best in the world. And then get totally rocked. Right. Um, but it's all kind of psychological and, Yes. You know that I'm competitive and it's like, it's, you know, when I won Transvolcania 10 years ago, I, I pulled off the front like 20 K into the race. And I was like, this seems like a bad idea, but I feel okay. And I'm going to go for it. And yeah. the exact same thing happened at hard rock last weekend where I was pulling off the front of Killian and Francois. And I was like, this seems like a bad move, but I feel fantastic. So we'll just like hang on and see what happens. And that's generally my racing strategies. I'm going to like do my best to run my own race, acknowledge that I'm definitely caught up psychologically in the dynamics of the race, but trying to limit that. And then if I feel good and I'm halfway through, it's like, take a swing. I can go for it. Right. (laughs) Dude, I was so pumped. I mean, when we got that update from engineer, I was like literally on the edge of my seat, just hitting refresh over here in my basement at home. So I don't know, maybe we should just fast forward to your unless there's something interesting or any highlights from the first half of the race that you want to talk about. What do you, Yeah, we we could probably start there. That's like 45 miles. I mean, I was doing my best to let them go and they dropped me a little bit, but I kept catching them on the descent. So I was like, yeah, Okay, cool. Yeah. So, uh, you guys ran more or less together for the first half of the race through your And then, you know, of course at that aid station, it seemed that Francois needed a little bit more time. It seemed like he was struggling. I was here at home thinking, Oh my goodness, Francois finally looks vulnerable. Like, could this finally be the race where he has a tough time or he really has to dig deep and like, maybe it gets away from him course we all know in retrospect that that didn't really materialize but you and Killian left together and then on that climb up to engineer you gapped Killian so please give us all the details of what happened there yeah and, you know, putting that rip move uh, yeah it was yeah I don't know it's from my perspective I was just trying to run well and I felt super good there in retrospect I think that a lot of that had to do with the altitude because we're the lowest point in the race in, in Ure. It's like 7,600 feet, which is high sometimes, but not there. Um, <clears throat> and so coming down into Ure before the aid station is this long, like eight or nine mile, basically paved road. And it's, I think it, it really was harder for Killian and Francois than for me. I was pounding water and I was eating gels and like, I came in feeling super good and left the aid station really quick. Like you said, and then we got through town with Killian and, uh, and my friend, Max Romy, who was pacing me basically. Yep. So he could like film us. Um, <clears throat> and I had taken a quesadilla. So I was like in town, but I'm like, we're going to be cool here. We're going to eat a quesadilla. So we walked up the hill eating this quesadilla. It took me like 10 minutes or something. And Francois was right behind us, but then we like started gapping him. And I was like, what's going on? And Killian's like, I think he's not doing well. And I was like, that's, 
that's not going to last long. We better, we better do something about this, you know? And just knowing leaving your way, you got a 5,000 foot climb ahead of you and it's never that steep, but it's a long one. I'm going to share my screen so people can see what we're talking about. Keep going though. Yeah. It's a long climb right out of the hill or right out of your way. Um, and so, yeah, it looks steep there, but it's actually quite runnable. So we like get through town and when we go up these cool switchbacks, it's a really dramatic, uh, trail right off the bat out of town. Um, you're looking over this really big, beautiful Valley, but then you kind of go up the Valley and it's really runnable. And just, but when we were still on the switchbacks, like maybe three miles out of your way, I just started pulling ahead of Killian. I was feeling great and I was moving well. I was running some of the switchbacks and, um, I don't know. I was just like, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like he was yeah. just kind of letting me go. And I don't know. We, I like came around one switch back and he was a little bit behind and we like made eye contact and he like stuck his tongue out like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was like, wow. oh yeah. Okay. Interesting. No way. Yeah. So in, internally you have to be having the conversation of like, huh, well, you know, maybe I'm the most acclimatized guy in the field here. We're halfway through, I'm feeling good, but these are the two greatest runners of all time. Like what exactly. was going through your head there? I actually tweeted about this too, because I was just like, I have to know what Dakota's thinking. Like, you know, because ultimately I guess we should fast forward to, you came through the engineer aid station, which is sort of where my mouse is here yeah. near the top of the engineer climb. And when we got the update, you were ahead by like 11 minutes up there. So yeah, you had right. to put in a, a little bit of a gap and so I was just like, you know, Durango boy, Dakota Jones is off the front by 10 minutes at Hard Rock in his home mountains with two of the greatest of all time chasing him. Like, what was that like, bro? Like, what was going yeah. through your head? A little alarming, you know, just like try to keep it cool. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think that I was trying, I was like making this real strong effort. Like, can I don't go any faster intentionally? Do keep doing what I'm doing. It's obviously working. I think that that, definitely got a little like dropped, you know, I was like, you know, you drop those guys and I was like feeling good. It's quite runnable. I was running a lot. I think I pushed a little harder than I maybe should have. Mm -hmm. Um, but Hey, I was moving great. And I also knew that there's half the race left because we keep saying that your race halfway through the race, but the race isn't half. We're not halfway through the race till we're at engineer, which is mostly way to the top of that climb. Yeah. And then you still have 50 hard rock miles to run. And so you know, I kept thinking to myself, like, Hey, you're doing good. There's plenty of time for like normal reality to reassert itself here. <laughs> Let's just like try to keep it together. But yeah, I did think like, I knew Francois had been in Kill or in Silverton for like two weeks, but Killian like came from Norway, like a day and a half ago. Right. So like, maybe this is the way I can beat him. It's like, we're about to go over handies. Yeah. But in reality, like we go, I finally got over engineer pass. Um, and I wasn't feeling super great. And I think it was the altitude, even yeah. though I was well acclimatized, like it still gets you. It's a stressor. Yeah. And you just, when you're tired, you have less energy to deal with it. Um, got caught in like a hailstorm on the descent off that and put my jacket on trying to eat and I don't know, just not feeling super good. And then yeah. came into animus forks used to be called grouse gold shade station. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's well over halfway at that point, like 60 miles or 58 or something. And yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm in front there. That's like the last, well, second to last major aid station where people are going to, where you're going to see your crew and I knew people were going to make a big deal out of it. And so I'm just trying to run smooth, trying to look okay. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, like, it's like the, I run far updates, like Dakota's feeling amazing. And yeah, you had a 12 minute, you had a 12 minute gap there. And totally. so I was like, oh my gosh, Dakota's 
the most acclimatized guy in the field <laughs> going up over the top of Handy's Peak. And then you have that long section at super high altitude and the you know, Pole Creek area. And I was just like, oh my goodness, Dakota might pull this off. But it seems like maybe you cracked a little bit going over Handy's. Tell us what happened Big there. Time. Yeah. I mean, I just knew going over Engineer, that was a bad sign. I didn't feel good. And that's like 13,000 some feet. And then I came down to Animus Forks and like, I'm feeling fine. You know, I'm, I'm not feeling bad at all, but, um, well, okay. I am feeling bad, but it's like, I understand I've done this enough that it's like, I'm going to come around. I knew I was going to finish the race. I was feeling excited about how well I was doing, but I also knew that I was not going to feel good over handies. And, uh, I picked up my pacer, Eric Sensman there and we jogged down and we start going up the climb. And I was like, Eric, we have to just take it pretty slow here. And I was eating as much as I could, but that wasn't the issue shoe unfortunately yeah. so we crawl over there's like one pass and then you go through american basin and then it was actually really cool there's like kind of lightning and storms going on which was a little alarming about handies but then they cleared really well once we we're going up handies and once we we're like on the final ridge up to handies which is a fourteen thousand foot peak like yeah. 65 miles into the race at this point you know those i can see them back there right <laughs> it's like they're coming to get me and yeah. i knew they were and it was like not a surprise and i'm like damn it oh well yeah um but anyway we got got over the peak they didn't catch me until we were all the way down the other side of handies um i was trying not to go too hard and i think they were but we came into that aid station burrows which is maybe 68 70 miles um and yeah, I, I was, I was hoping to feel better at Burroughs there. Uh, yeah. so you're, yeah. you're about right here. Just so I'm just I'm sharing yeah, the screen just to miles, get the yeah. context. So the guys sort of caught you around here and then you have they, this gentle. They caught me right at that aid station. Yeah. We were in the aid station together. We left together and then it's like basically, and then we're on a dirt road for like four miles. Yep. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's like, it's mostly downhill. There's a slight rise leaving the aid station. And we're all running together and I start walking up this like 2% grade out of the aid station <laughs> and they both stop and look back. And I was like, no, I appreciate it, but th that's not what this is. You guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we knew this was all going to happen. Go ahead. And I'm like kind of bummed, but like, Hey, I'm still running a good race. Um, so do you so think though, it was like a miscalculation of energy expenditure going over engineer because like now thinking back, you must be like, man, if I would have just gone a little bit easier up engineer, you could have maybe, you know, possible. At, le at least like hung on the pack or, I mean, maybe even run like an hour faster or something like that at a minimum. Yeah. It might've happened for sure. You know, I might've like pushed myself hard and too hard or at that point on engineer so that I was less able to deal with the altitude over engineer and handies. Yeah. Um, ultimately the altitude I think is going to affect you no matter what I maybe could have held it off a little further, but it's like, it's the kind of risk you take racing and it was a worthwhile risk for me. And now I know like, Maybe don't do it that way, I mean, same way next time, but I'm, I'm, I don't regret it. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe I should have run just a little slower to the first 10 miles. Like you can't, I don't know, whatever, dude. Like, well, And when you sense that, you know, that little vulnerability in killing and Francois and you're feeling good, you might as well take your swing. And right. It was awesome to see. And eventually after those guys sort of pulled away, you settled into third place and, one of the things I really want to hear you talk about is the final 10 miles where you picked up your pacer, yeah. the legendary Kyle Skaggs. I'm very curious to hear how that came to be, what your relationship is with Kyle and what it was like to spend those miles with him out on the trail. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just to connect the dots though, it's like coming to Sherman aid station, 72 miles. And I was, 
I'm hoping to feel better there, but cause it's super low. Well, shit, relatively it's like 9,000 feet. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> I felt okay. I stopped for like nine minutes. That was the longest I spent in an aid station. And I made sure to eat a whole quesadilla and try to get some real food. But then we left, walked all the way up. It's kind of a steep climb, but not too bad. But once I got up above on the next climb, like you're saying, it's over, it's called cataract. You go over the continental divide, run down a, a valley into pole Creek and then up the next side. And there's a little, there's like another mile or extra mile or so that they added on this year in that section. Um, but it's generally high altitude, but mellow and like runnable. And I was, my goal like, you know, a reasonable race. If you run smart, you should be able to run through a lot of that. And I was really happy to see, I came around and I ran like eight miles through that or something, you know, I was running a ton of cataract and pole Creek and was really, really excited about that. And then got into Maggie aid station. But the amazing thing was like, you go over this aid station or this pass after pole Creek, it's quite steep, but not too long. And then I come over the, come around the corner and I can see below me in the next Valley, the Maggie Gulch aid station. Yeah. And after that is it's dark out, but I know there's a big wall. It's a super steep climb to get up to the second highest point on the course after that. And those guys, I can see their headlamps on the top of that climb. And you could see they're still together. Yeah, basically they were a little spread out, but it was like, it was amazing. And I, you know, it's like that late in the race and kind of having the perspective that I tried to have, I was like genuinely impressed and inspired. Like, dude, I was losing my GD <laughs> mind at home. I yeah. was just like, I cannot believe it's Killian and Francois, the two greatest ever. And they are at mile 90, like totally. battling at hard rock. It was yeah. like, you couldn't draw it up any better than that. Anyway, right. pick up it's there. Like, yeah. So I, I see those guys at the top of the pass and I was like, that is amazing what they've done. Get down to the aid station, crawl over the next pass. There's a little bump after Stony Pass. But yeah, then I get down into Cunningham Gulch. And uh, as I was going down, so you have this like really steep descent into Cunningham. And then the final climb is 2,800 vertical feet in like two miles. And it's a, uh, it's a bitch, man. <laughs> and, but it was cool. Cause I could see their lights. Um, but it was confusing at first. I saw two distinct sets of lights, and uh, then I stopped looking basically because I knew that I was gonna eat shit if I didn't pay attention <laughs> to where I was going. Um, but I saw two distinct sets of lights, and I was speculating for like hours like, was that Killian above and Francois, or the other way around, or was it like, were they together and they dropped both their pacers, and that's the second set? I think what happened actually is that it was like a spectator up higher, <laughs> and then oh, Killian yeah. and Francois together lower. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was fun to try to like participate and spectate a little bit, even though I was behind them racing. Um, but yeah, come into Cunningham and pick up Kyle Skaggs, who's like literally the person who got me inspired enough to become a trail runner myself. When I volunteered at Hard Rock 2008, he ran it, he won, set a course record by two and a half hours over Scott Jurek, who's also one of the best of all time. And so I like kind of had Kyle in my mind as this like ideal, uh, for, not only his times, but also his style, you know, he like lived in, yeah, exactly. This is, this is Kyle in 2008 running hard rock. He one of the most iconic in, in ultra running history. I feel like yeah. Yeah. he lived in Silverton. He worked for the mountain studies Institute doing science. He did, he ran like 200 miles or 150 miles a week for months, you know, and he didn't have an Instagram. He had like a Timex, like $2 watch, you know, like drinking out of the creeks, eating gels. Um, he, he later quit 
running and basically, and he went and became the best organic farmer in New Mexico. So that's pretty cool. And he's still doing that. Um, and I, I've become pretty good friends with his brother, Eric, who lives here in Durango and yeah. we've, we've hung out a lot and become really good friends. Um, I, I don't really know Kyle that well. I was okay. like at Eric's wedding. I met him formally, but, um, anyway, we, he like randomly texted me, Kyle did earlier this year. And he's like, Hey man, here's a photos of my entire training log from 2008 going into hard rock from like April through June, July. Oh my God. Just out of nowhere. He's got to publish these photographs. I know it was awesome. It was, it was funny too. The ultra running history museum, the hall. I didn't even have his phone number and he like texted me this and he's like, Hey man, it's Kyle. And I was like, what do you mean? It's Kyle who? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who the hell is this? But then I was like, Oh, 150 miles a week. Yeah. That's Kyle's cat. Got it. Um, and so that was fun to see his, his training and like compare it to my own. And then, he, he like was just super cool. Like, I, I don't know. He just kept reaching out and being like, Hey, here's a bit of advice or something I was thinking about, or this helped me, you know? And he just offered. And then what is it like three days before the race or something? He's like, Hey, by the way, if your pacers get COVID, let me know. No way. And so I was you like, said it was, yeah, I'm like, if Kyle Skaggs wants to get Cunningham, yeah. <laughs> wow. I can make space. Um, and so Eric Sensman paced me over to Cunningham and then, Kyle picked me up from there. Um, and it was really fun. And it was, it was like this kind of full circle thing, right? Like I said, he got me into it. I got to run with him and, and we left Cunningham aid station in mile 93, I guess this year, um, on exactly his split. It was like 20, 50, like the exact time. Um, which was pretty fun. And he's like, man, I blew up on this climb. You can definitely go faster than me. Um, and he's, ex- he's just like telling me stories about it. He's like, yeah, I knew I could have gone a little harder, but yeah. he, he like, he was six hours ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to push yourself when you're right. on the last climb. Um, and so, yeah, he was just chatting with me. He knew I was like struggling. Like I was doing okay. We were kind of talking, but I couldn't talk much on the climb. Sure. It's really steep and hard. But I was just what a cool thing though, to just like share those miles with one of your oh, totally. One of He's the telling me all these. Inspired. I mean, and, and just like reflect on that journey, man. I mean, that was like 14 years ago that he ran the race and that you were there for the first time. You're only 31 at this point. It's like half yeah. of your life. And uh, you get to share the last 10 miles with all-time ledge. You got to convince him to come on the podcast. I would oh, yeah. love to chat with him. He's, of course, a hero of mine as well. And uh, we can talk only about regenerative farming if he wants to. I don't think he's really into the whole podcast thing anymore. But Yeah. You know, I kind of expected him to be like kind of single-minded and intense. And he's like not. He's really funny. He told me all these silly stories about just having a good time. Like, I had a great time with him, you know? And then yeah. he was pushing me. He's like, you can go under 23, man. Come on, let's go. And we were like hammering the last three miles, but I couldn't quite pull it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, so ultimately you finished third place, a little over 23 hours. And I want to, you know, reflect on that a little bit, but also I'd love for you to maybe reflect on the Killian versus Francois thing, because I think, you know, of course you spent half the race with these guys, you have personal relationships with them. I think you look up to them much like everybody else does. And I don't know if you saw, but the video that normal posted on their stories on race day of the two of the, those guys going through Cunningham together, like fully yeah. racing at Cunningham is like one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. So they, wonder, they were really racing by then. I didn't see that personally. <laughs> yeah. So what, what I heard happen is that Killian kind of made his move on the descent down into Cunningham came in yeah. just a little bit before, but the, the video that was on the normal Instagram stories you could tell like Francois was not out of the fight, you know, like he was right. fully trying to stick with Killian. And of course the, 
gap was 15 minutes at the finish line, but it's pretty much a photo finish in this type of a race. And right. anyway, I wondered if you guys had all sort of, I, there was the great video of you guys all at the finish line, like chit chatting, but if there's any other sort of reflections or comments about those two guys in particular and what it was like to race against them and, and the performances that they put on. Yeah. I mean, those guys, like you say, they're the best in the world. I mean, I, in any race, I would pick them to win. And then when they race each other, it's like really confusing. What the hell do we do about this? Um, but, um, I guess, you know, not even like brand loyalty. Like I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like if either of them won, I would be super psyched. Like I knew it was going to happen. One of them were, well, actually the only thing I, I would have been disappointed with is if they finished together. Exactly what I said. It's I, like, I don't want to be like a dick about it, but it's like, they are friends. We're cool. We're not like mad at each other or cutthroat, but it's a race, race it out, you know? And they did. And it was awesome. And honestly, just historically, I'd have to put the money on Killian. Yeah. He's got like the more f- impressive resume which is saying a lot because francois resume is unbelievable but like you and francois are two of the only people in history that have ever beat killian and so killian was like also it wasn't a guaranteed thing for him no, like it not at all. Is. I mean, yeah francois beat killian at utmb in 2017 yeah. i think um yeah so it was really cool i was hoping that they'd race it out and they did and um yeah it was fun like i i finished and and i was like genuinely curious that was like what i wanted to know most like who did it who pulled it off you know how'd it go um yeah i don't know man it's like i feel like i'm a good runner and i've been able to accomplish a lot and i think that i have more in me but you know it's running with those guys is kind of like running with the legends and being able to hang with them for that long was a huge honor and i definitely had like this moment even just in the first climb the sun's coming up we kind of like take this little turn and i look up and they're both there kind of silhouetted in the alpen glow of the morning and i was like oh my god (laughs) this is like history right here you know and i gotta be a part of it (laughs) unbelievable yeah and the video the three you guys just chit-chatting at the finish line that also needs to be in the ultra running (laughs) hall of fame history museum so yeah, that, that of, was funny. Point of a personal curiosity here. You mentioned that in the cataract section, the course is a little bit longer. And I also heard that like the new Animus Forks Aid Station, the course is a little bit longer. And you, of course, you ran 2306, I think it was. I ran 2245. And so it, part of me feels like our two times are probably fairly commensurate. As somebody who knows yeah. the course, how does the, how does that, the, that's the generous. course changes? <laughs> But I, I'm just honestly curious, like how much, how much distance did they add to the course? And, uh, they, you know. so I'm not sure exactly. So they, they did break it down. I think the course this year was like 102.4 or five or something like that. Um, I, I didn't think too much about it just cause I didn't want to stress about anything like that. And they made both those decisions for ecological reasons, just to protect mm-hmm. the landscape. And I'm all on board with that. Um, I, I don't quite think it was like a 25 minute change or 20 minute change. Um, but you never know. I mean, I think that I ran a good race and also you're running in a different direction. So it's really, it's really, I guess that's the point is it's really hard. Yeah, to I mean, I'm not trying to right? compare our two, but I mean, just yeah. for me as somebody who's experienced it only once to sort of think about, okay, well, where did the distance come and how yeah. might have, that have it wasn't that big of a deal because so also like the like is- and Francois ran under 22 hours. Of yeah, course, totally. Courtney broke the women's course record. So I was just curious more like, geez, man, on a shorter course would Killian and Francois have gone, you know, low 22s or, or low right. 21s. 
Yeah, you know, the addition at Animus Forks is longer, but it's all downhill. Mm-hmm. And um, the addition at, at Pole Creek is probably adds about a mile, but it's real mellow. It's yeah. like slightly rolling downhill and then rolling back uphill. It's It didn't feel like a tremendous cut in the time. In Pole Creek, I was really annoyed with it just because I was like tired and I'm like way out there in the dark. And I'm like, this is We're dumbass. supposed to go that way. Exactly where did this bullshit <laughs> You know, but that was like the the most irritable I got. And I'm, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. What an awesome. Thank you for you. And I'm sure you feel that's your best hundred mile performance sure. ever. And, and probably gives you a little bit more confidence to go to the next one. And, uh, you know, some learnings that you could probably apply. So maybe um, transitioning from the hard rock convo, like I mentioned at the top of our show here in a couple of days, you start the footprints camp. That's right. So you, you haven't given yourself much of a vacation after this awesome hundred mile finish. So I guess, tell us uh, what you're looking forward to with, with footprints this year, what sort of projects you guys have going Thanks, on. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, busy second half of July for me. <laughs> um, but I have a ton of help and that's, what's really cool. So in case you're not familiar footprints is this running camp we do, it's all about empowering climate action for trail runners. And so all the, there's 10 campers and each of them has a project for how to address climate change in their community. And then we pair them with mentors who are experts in that kind of work. And then we work throughout the week, um, to develop the projects while at the same time, spending time each day out in the mountains here in Southwest Colorado running and getting educational like presentations from the mentors. It's, it's a really fun thing. Um, and so last year was our first camp. This is our second one starting two days from now. Um, the whole, the whole campers are all converging and, and mentors starting tomorrow and Sunday. And so it's a, it's a big thing. And I'm, I'm sitting here among all this, like, I guess you can't really see it, but I've got these like welcome bags for everybody and I've got product and I've got, you know, all my like files and everything ready to go. But, um, and so it's a week long, yeah. week long uh, sort of camp that's going starting on what Sunday? So, sun, yeah, Sunday to Sunday. So the twenty fourth to the thirty first, we meet here in Durango and then head up into Silverton together. Any highlights from the itinerary or speakers or workshops that you're excited about? I mean, it's incredible. Like how many people I've reached out to who have you know I have no business reaching out to, and they are all on board. They're excited. Like we have, um, indigenous soil scientists, like Lydia Jennings, you know, she's a native American woman. She's also a, well, I guess she's not a professor, but she's a PhD in soil science and land reclamation. Um, we also have like Connor Ryan, also indigenous professional skier. And then we have, um, Jake black, who's the director of programs that protect our winters. He's an educator and a mentor. We have business leaders and nonprofit people with a ton of nonprofit experience. We have educators, basically people who know how to create a collective action and who also have a, an understanding of the outdoor and specifically the trail running community, because that's how we make a difference. You know, like we need to like find your niche and your community and network and be able to mobilize those people. So the idea is that each of these campers is doing a project, but they're not just doing a thing. They're really like empowering their community to do the thing with them. That's mm-hmm. where we make it collective. Um, and so for me, honestly, it's like as much of a learning experience as anybody else, because I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not a, I guess I'm technically a nonprofit leader at this point, but I probably shouldn't be, um, you know, I'm like learning so much about education and business and uh, personal interactions. And so it's been fun to have so much help because it kind of takes the burden off me a little bit. I don't have to be the expert and neither do you. I think this yeah. is kind of the point we're trying to make. 
Yeah. That's a, uh, it's a great point. And I feel very similarly too, in that probably like have never learned more in my life than I have in the last year and a half and two years, just just by like putting myself through the fire of like trying to, to build a business. And I'm sure that's probably true for you as well. And doing your nonprofit thing with, with footprints. And of course, Rachel is super proud to, to be affiliated. And yeah, to, uh, well, honestly, support. like you should come be a mentor at the camp in the future. I'd love to. Cause yeah. you have like so much experience with the trail community and now you know how to do communications. You work with brands, like you've got collective action in the bag, man. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually it'd be great. You know, maybe if I could get into hard rock again, it would make perfect sense. And then yeah. stick around for a week or whatever. Cool. Um, I'm curious about what's next for you. I mean, obviously you're going to need a big break after hard rock and then putting on a camp for a week. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to want to crawl into a cave and hibernate for a little bit, but I don't know if you've looked ahead towards any other competitive ambitions for the second half of the year. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking ahead, you have a good race and it, you tend to get a little over ambitious, right? <laughs> um, I was originally actually planning to run the CCC. So the hundred K version of UTMB, but I bailed on that because school starts the week before mm-hmm. and uh you know i can't miss a week of engineering school i i thought i was like yeah it's just the first week what could happen but apparently a lot happens i've been through <laughs> this I'm, I'm i should be smarter so i backed out of that but i am going to run pike's peak the marathon Sweet. so that's that's september 7 no, 18th september 18th is the marathon so i'm going to run that and then i think uh, i'm going to run the Havelina 100 and oh, can you take a guess at why I might want to do that, Dylan? To get into Western States. Oh my goodness. Well, it's not officially announced. So I'm kind of hoping that it was soon, but yeah, I was like, Hey man, I've had a lot of opportunities to run hard rock and I've been in the sport forever. I've never run Western States. Yeah. I feel like that's a cool goal for next year. I'd yeah. really and, and like watching you and Corinne and everybody like talking about Western States. I was like, you know, this it's time. I got to yeah. do this while, before I get too old. <laughs> Yeah, you got to get around to it eventually. And I think you would obviously had a very interesting element to that field. And I don't know, you're the type of runner who can perform really well at both of those races, like, cause you do have that like natural foot speed to you, but you're good in the mountains. You're good at climbing. And uh, yeah, we'll um, see. I got to get some yeah. practice those fast hundreds still. Yeah. Well, Havelina will help, you know, with the hundred mile turnover. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Dakota, man, what a joy this has been. So fun to chit chat totally. all about the, uh, the race. Uh, I don't know. Should we tease our little project that maybe we're working on with, with yeah, Free we save that for we a little should. later? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, maybe I'll just lead and you can add whatever you want, but yeah. so free trail, we are going to be launching our new website here very soon. And of course we'd like to put out great content. We like to work with great personalities in the sport and, uh, Dakota's microphone that you see there, uh, is something that I sent to him last week. And so, you know, of course, Dakota's a, a great communicator, a great ambassador for the sport and also a great writer. And so we're hoping to merge those skills into the, the free trail content portfolio eventually. So we're very, very excited about it. Dakota, anything else you want to yeah, I, just, I mean, this is just an amazing opportunity. Like, I think what you're doing is so cool. I always refer to it as the Dylan Bowman media empire. And <laughs> it's totally true because you're like, you've got this website, you're doing writing, you're doing podcasts. Like it's so cool. And, um, you know, chatting with the people you have involved. Like I met Ryan thrower in person last year, last weekend, finally, like just seeing the quality of the people you have on your team, like is really, really impressive. And so trying to be able to be a part of this is good for footprints as well, because, you know, we can like really spread the the resources and the education that we have that we're developing at the camp 
to more as many people as possible to it in, in a way that we wouldn't otherwise be able to. And I don't know, I'd hope that we can contribute to what you guys are doing too. Cause it's so yeah. cool. So. No doubt. Well, uh, yeah, to be continued and we'll, uh, we'll have to catch up after footprints about yeah. how we strategize that whole thing, but more news ahead for our viewing audience. We, we do hope to hear a lot more from Dakota within the free trail network. So that's very exciting for everybody involved, but Dakota, man, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate you devoting part of your, your Friday right before the big camp to spend an hour walking us through. I love this. It's been really great. Thanks so much for having me on. I love what you guys do. Appreciate it so much. And and thanks to everybody who watched, make sure you go follow Dakota, make sure you go check out footprints running camp, throw a donation if you can. Cause I think what Patagonia and and fat tire are still matching donations right now, right? Through the weekend, exactly. And it's footprintsrunning.com, is that right? It's runfootprints.com. Runfootprints.com. So everybody who's watching, go throw Dakota a few bucks right now. It's going to go towards the next generation of leaders in our... Exactly. In our it's all matched. And then starting next week, we don't have to ask you for money anymore. We'll start sharing content and like exciting <laughs> videos and stuff about what we got, what we're getting up to. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, thanks again to Dakota. Thanks everybody who watched. Have a great weekend.